Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the Watt. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Before we roll the audio on this PFT Live podcast, we want you to know that Mike Florio does an afternoon podcast. Why? To catch all the late-breaking news and developing stories in the NFL, of course. So you got to subscribe to PFT PM as well. Go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Art19, or Google Play. Search PFT PM and subscribe. Boom. Done. Thanks for the support. Now, stats. Another hour of the PFT Live podcast. Friday edition of Pro Football Talk Live, NBC Sports Radio, NBCSN. Hello to our friends in the UK and in Ireland enjoying the program on Sky Sports. You're not getting four hours today, folks. I'm done with the four-hour shows. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Wednesday, Thursday with Sims on the missing persons list, although we knew where he was. No, no. And, and you throw the hour radio on, top of it, five hours? No, I'm too old for this crap. You're getting two hours out of us today. It's Big Cat. It's Mike Florio. And I'm glad to see you made it home from the combine. We had our fun there. And now we get to go home and watch these workouts, these scintillating workouts in a jam-packed Lucas Oil Stadium for the next three nights. I actually watched it, Mike. I'm not kidding. I watched it. I was watching college basketball. And then I said, oh, okay, well, I think it was because of Ruggs running and everyone was talking about his 40 time. That's why I tuned in. But if, if you want to, you know, go by the test, did you tune in for at least a portion of the combine during prime time? I, I mark it as a yes because I tuned in for about 25 minutes, watched a couple drills. It's always pretty silly, but I watched. I did too. I did too, despite my better judgment because, look, it's not football. Yes, it's on TV. And here's the thing. As they move it to prime time this time of year, there is more competition. In the past, when they would have the workouts on at 8 a.m., what else is going on? Like, I, I, the ratings, I'm sure, will be higher in prime time, but there are far more other things that will get people's attention, like basketball games, hockey games. You know, and, and so but you better be careful when you move this thing into the realm of other sports on TV because it quickly becomes even more apparent. You're not watching a sport. I don't know what you're watching, but it sure isn't a sport. 
Right. And, and I think without Henry Ruggs uh, and his presence and the idea that he could probably have the fastest 40 of all time, which he ended up not having, I think without that, you'd probably have no one watching. But he obviously was a draw. The fact that he said he was going to go for the fastest 40 of all time, it was still a very fast 40. But I, it, ultimately... It's not a primetime event. It's a look look for a few minutes, check it out, and maybe if someone is trying to break a record, that would be cool. But otherwise, we've seen it before. It's nothing special. I, I'm actually happy that we have this up right now. It struck me last night. Is being fast even good? Like, do you want to be fast? <laughs> it was incredible when he was going for the record and they showed this list. And you just go down the list like, John Ross, okay, maybe you could sell me that we, we still haven't seen the best out of him. But Marquise Goodwin's still still around. Everyone else is, has not been good, and they were not good. So I don't know. I think there's a point where being too fast is actually bad. There's diminishing returns on speed over under 4-3. That, that was great that you tweeted that observation last night because you're right. The fastest of the fast guys never make it in the NFL. And John Ross was just fast enough to convince the Bengals to make him the last draft pick before Patrick Mahomes back in 2017. If he's a little slower, maybe the Bengals take Patrick Mahomes. Now, they still had Andy Dalton, but they were already starting to cool on Andy Dalton. Wouldn't that have been something if they'd have realized, if they hadn't been smitten by John Ross's speed, and they they say, hey, oh, you know, this quarterback is once in a lifetime. Let's take him instead. And I'll tell you what, here's how how useless it is to be that fast. When, when I looked at the thing you tweeted last night, the graphic from NFL Network, and it said Jay Mathis at number two, I didn't remember who the hell that guy was. I guessed earlier that the first name was Jerome. It sounded vaguely familiar as NFL players go, and, and I, I got lucky, but I was like 30% confident on that. A lot of these guys, I remember Tyrone Calico, just for his 40. What did he ever do in the NFL? And you're right. Being able to run that fast in a straight line means nothing because you're never going to have the luxury of running 40 yards in a straight line on a football field. Someone is going to hit you at some point and disrupt your stride. Right. It actually is very similar to the hand size debate we had earlier on this week in that, you know, everyone freaks out about the hand size and says that this is crazy. Why are we even doing this? Well, I obviously, like, hand size doesn't determine how good you are as a quarterback. In fact, it has no correlation, but you would obviously prefer someone to have bigger hands than smaller hands. I think that's with this top-end speed. I don't think top-end mm. speed correlates to being a great wide receiver. Clearly, you want someone who's faster than slower, but when it comes to judging a prospect, it's the whole picture. It's not one singular, you know, event at the combine, one singular measure, measurable. It's everything that they put together on tape, and you say it all the time. Like, these, these, these combine drills, they're silly. Go watch the tape. That's what they put out there for years and years and years. That's what should tell you whether this guy can play in the NFL, not how fast he can run in a straight line or how big his hand is or how many bench presses he can do. Back to the hand thing, though. And, and I, I, I thought Sims was great on this uh, on the one day he showed up in Indy. Um, it's not about end of your thumb to the end of your pinky. It should be about bottom of your palm to the top of your middle finger because that's what wraps the ball. And he also explained that guys with smaller hands just move their hands farther up the ball so they can grip it better. But I think that your hand can be too big. I think a shack 
right, trying to shoot free throws. His hand was so big, he couldn't shoot the ball. Like, there's a there's a sweet spot. And if, you, if your hand is completely engulfing the ball, how in the world are you supposed to you, properly throw it? So I think you can have hands that are too big. You bring up a good point. Shaq never did make it as a quarterback in the NFL, and a lot of people say it's because I'm, his hands were I'm too talking big. About, I'm I agree, talking about no, I agree with his you. free throws. I, like, I his agree big, giant you. hand. Yes, right. yes. And I agree with you. That's how they, they measure it from the wrist to the top of the middle finger in the NBA when they're judging hand size. I just – this is what the combine is. I feel like I'm Groundhog's Day. You know, we were talking about this on Wednesday night when we saw each other in Indianapolis. It really is Groundhog's Day every combine because it's the same arguments we have in the media. It's the same hand size, gawking at, at guys running around in shorts, people saying it's ridiculous, people saying we should do it. Then everyone goes and gets drunk at the same bar, and I feel like I've done it so many times that my brain has just melted, and it's like, oh, it must be that time of year again. It's late February in Indianapolis. But one thing that happened this year, a dramatic change to the scheduling with the move to prime time, and it shook up the availability of the coaches and the GMs. I ran into a coach yesterday, not to brag, who was saying, yeah, we, you know, we've got to be here. We've got to be here. We've got to do this. It's just, I don't know how we're going to get it all done. We're talking to all these guys. I can't remember who we talked to. And it's just different, and they have to adjust to it. And there's going to be more adjustments. I think it's got one more year in Indianapolis, and then it's going to become an annual road show like the draft. And also, also, especially now that it's in prime time, competing with actual sporting events, Big Cat, it becomes more glaring that there's no one in the stands. I think it's just a matter of time before they fill that stadium up wherever the combine is and they get the, let these guys truly compete. They want to say it's a competition. You put fans there, that makes it a competition. Ooh, I like that. So uh, you actually do think it's going to travel around because I've always, you know, once they moved the draft, it was like, okay, everything's open for business with the NFL. But the one thing about Indianapolis is it is perfectly set up for the combine in that if you stay in a certain hotel, which a lot of the teams stay in, you could actually be in Indianapolis and never go outside. You can just walk in those hallways, in those tunnels. So I, I push back on them changing the location because I don't know if the coaches and the teams would go for it. It's, such a, it's a city so perfectly set up for the combine. I'm imagining going to anywhere else where you have to drive really far and it becomes a completely different event because at the end of the day, it really isn't a spectator sport. It's not a spectator event. Of course, you could sell tickets. I don't think a lot of people would go, but they're, they, that's oh, the Oh, I do. Oh, I do. You think you oh, could fill a stadium? Yes, yes. No. Yes. I, no oh, I think Mike, you can. No. Here's what, no, let me tell uh -huh. you. Let me tell you. Because the, look at what they do with the draft. When they had 70,000 people in Philadelphia for the draft several years ago, that was the moment that pe people were like, holy crap, we can take this content that is about nothing, right, in the offseason, and we can sell it. We can get people to show up. Why in the hell do all these people show up for the draft? It's a big party, and the NFL has come to our town. Hey, the NFL is coming to L.A. The NFL is coming to Las Vegas. Look how many people are going to be in Las Vegas for the draft. They're taking the combine. Uh, you, know, you really couldn't do it at Green Bay, although that would make it for a competition, do the drills outside in the snow. That would, that would, I would tune in for that. Drills in the snow, sign me up for that. But they, they will find a way to move this thing from city to city, and they don't care about the convenience of the coaches because the guys who are making the decisions aren't the coaches, aren't the general managers. They're the ones who recognize that you can turn this into even more of a cash generator than it is. A couple of the other numbers coming out of last night. How about Chase Claypool? 
442 40-yard dash at 6 foot 4 238 pounds. My goodness. That he, he's the 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 biggest guy to bust 445 since Calvin Johnson. I'd say Chase Claypool made himself a little money last night. Yeah, he definitely made himself a little money because I mean it's it's so incredible to see these guys and how unbelievable. I mean we we just kind of belittled the combine and how silly it is, but watching a guy who's 238 pounds run that fast. You're, it, you just, it, it dawns on you how exceptional they are as athletes, these guys. And so, yeah, he made some money last night. I also think C.D. Lamb, he was already going to be probably the first wide receiver off the board, but he had an unbelievable catch. And the wide receivers this year, more than ever, it's probably the deepest year in wide receiver history where there's, you know, eight, ten guys that you could you could convince yourself are first-round guys. They're not all going to go in the first round. But it's an, it's an incredible, incredible class for uh, wide receivers. That C.D. Lamb catch is awesome. I could just watch that in a loop all day long. Unbelievable body control. And, you know, I see these guys hit the ground, like, all night long. And, and I worry about them getting injured because, the, again, the hay's in the barn. And I know they're there trying to impress people and be drafted as high as possible. It's a calculated risk. But I, I just hope nobody gets injured during any of these workouts a couple of other guys who ran in a straight line last night who played quarterback Justin Herbert with a 4.68 and how about Jalen Hurts with a 4.5 now now Herbert's impressive because he's a big guy he's 6.6 4.68 is moving for him but Hurts uh second fastest quarterback at 4.59 at a time when there's some talk about people moving him to a different position look I I maybe you run too fast and you give teams ideas that they wouldn't have otherwise had about ways they can use you as a Taysom Hill type of a weapon yeah, well, I mean, Taysom Hill is going to be a franchise quarterback, so I don't really know what you mean Thank by you. that. But, Thank you. Uh, I mean, Jalen Hurts is, is an interesting guy just because I've watched, obviously, a lot of college football, high-level college football, him at Alabama, him at Oklahoma. I don't – I still am not convinced that he's an elite-level passer, but I do think there's a place for him on a roster as a quarterback in the NFL, not starting, but like you said, a Taysom Hill – can come in because the one thing with Jalen Hurts is he is so exceptionally strong from the waist down, and his legs and and his power, when you're trying to tackle him, it's very, very hard to do, and that's going to translate to the NFL. So he definitely has a spot on an NFL roster. I still don't know if he's all the way up to speed when it comes to just purely throwing the football. One other point, the feats of strength portion of the scouting combine, the bench press, which was right around the corner from where we were set up Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Arizona State punter Michael Turk, 25 reps at 225 pounds on the bar. And consider this. I, you know, 25 reps is a lot for a punter, but it's a lot for anyone else because Frank Clark had 19 in 2015. Jadavian Clowney had 21. Demarcus Lawrence had 20. Devin White had 22 last year. Chandler Jones had 22. Michael Bennett had 24. So, yeah, uh, pretty impressive that uh, 25 reps by, by a punter in the bench press, Big Cat. Steve Weatherford. Remember Steve Weatherford? And he had his whole... Uh... His workout for his biceps, that's the last time I can remember a punter. Although, I feel like a punter every now and then. I actually want to say the Bears punter might have might have put up some some. Todd Sauerbrunn, West Virginia. West Virginia's Todd Sauerbrunn. He was all yes. jacked. Yes, yes. yes. So uh. it's always cool. I mean, I feel like that's more for uh, when he shows up to a locker room this year in the NFL and get a little more respect because he lifted that much weight.
I'd love to see you on the 225-pound bench. Could you get oh, one? I, Could you squeeze I out can, one? You're a big oh, guy. I get one. I get one. You don't lose this type of athlete, Mike. Come on. The, the ultimate litmus test is the ability to bench your weight. So the question is, could you bench 280? Oh, that was mean. That was me. And I don't weigh 280, but that was me. And I probably could. If I, if I had to, I could because I, I can, I'm always up for the challenge. All right, we got to take a break. When we return, the Cowboys have finally met with Dak Prescott's agent for the first time since September. Are they getting any closer to getting a deal done with the guy who has started every game at quarterback in his four years with the team? More PFT Live right after this. It had been a long time between meetings for the Dallas Cowboys and Todd France, who represents quarterback Dak Prescott. They last spoke in September. That was something that Stephen Jones disclosed earlier in the week. They met on Wednesday, and Wednesday was the day that Jerry Jones did his annual open up the bus to the peons and let all the reporters come on and hang out with him, and he answered their questions for as long as they wanted to ask questions, with or without Johnny Walker Blue. I assume there was no Johnny Walker Blue served during that party on his bus, but he made it clear that he regards Dak Prescott as family, but the deal has to fit. And, you know, they've been trying to squeeze Dak Prescott to take less, take less, take less. He's never done anything to suggest that he is willing to deviate from this plan to maximize his value and maximize his payday. And Big Cat, it's all shaping up for franchise tag. And then can they sign him to a long-term deal before the offseason program starts? Or will he actually boycott it as new coach Mike McCarthy is trying to get the guys up to speed without the benefit of his starting quarterback being in the building? And it all makes sense to me. Doesn't it make sense to you? Like, this is not – Dak Prescott is a, a good quarterback. Is he a great quarterback? I don't know. I mean, you, you, if you're sitting here looking to sign Dak Prescott to a long-term deal, like when this happens with Patrick Mahomes, will there be any discussion back and forth about price? No. It's, I'm signing it, and you can get as much money as you want, and we want you here forever. Dak Prescott is in that perfect zone where he clearly deserves a lot of money, but does he deserve max money? Does he deserve to be the number one paid guy in the NFL? Probably not. So that's where you have this rift. And that's where you have this like, okay, he's a good quarterback, but is he a quarterback that we are no doubter saying he's our guy for the next decade? I don't think any, I think everyone would flinch for a second there and and take a little pause. And that's what this pause is right now. Here's the problem. By letting it get to this point, Dak Prescott's value is driven by the franchise tag. And if they use the exclusive version of the tag, the one that keeps a team that would be interested in Dak from offering him a deal, and if the Cowboys can't or won't match it, they get two first-round picks. If the goal is to keep him completely off the market, you're looking at $33 million in salary for 2020 and a 20% raise by rule for 2021, which pushes it up to $40 million. He's looking at $73 million over two years if he goes year-to-year under the tag. That's what's driving this now. And... At what point do the Cowboys just say, screw it, we're not going to tag him, we'll let his value be determined by the market. The only problem is he can leave. I mean, at least the transition tag gives them a chance to match whatever offer he gets, but I almost think that for a guy like Dak where it's not clear, would he get $35 million a year on the open market? Would he get 36, 37, 34, 32? What would it be? I don't know. Use the transition tag, save some money on this year, avoid that that $33 million, then $40 million formula, 
and and you find out what he's worth. I just don't I, – I, I'm fascinated by this question. I asked Sims earlier in the week, Big Cat, and I'll ask you. If Dak Prescott was truly free and clear and in this mix of all these other guys are going to be available – along with Tom Brady and Phillip Rivers, how much would he get paid? Is he really going to get $35 million plus if he's on the open market? I don't know. Mm. Yeah, I don't know either because it, the, when you talk about the open market, you obviously are talking about desperate teams that don't have an answer for quarterback and are looking long-term like, hey, we could get this guy for, you know, he's young. We can get him for, we're going to pay him a lot, but he's young and we have him for the next decade or whatever it may be or five years obviously on the contract. And then, you know, you keep him if he likes the place. It, that's a that's a tough question. I I don't I don't know. I would not pay Dak Prescott thirty five million dollars. I'd pay him thirty three. I'd pay him thirty two. And at that point, what are we arguing here, right? Like that's right. where someone would just say, you know what? Let's just pay him thirty five. So I guess the long way around this is, yeah, if you let him go to the free agent market, he would probably get thirty five million dollars. But see, that's the thing. We're having this conversation about valuing a deal based on the franchise tag because the Cowboys are choosing to use the franchise tag to keep him off of the open market. They are exercising their right to prevent Dak Prescott from finding out how much he would get and to prevent a team like the Chargers, who desperately need to attract a fan base in L.A., from plunking down $40 million a year for Dak Prescott because you're making the decision not just based on your salary cap and your football team, you're making the decision based upon, holy crap, an 80-20 Packers fans to Chargers fans ratio at our home games is not acceptable. So the point is this, if the Cowboys are on course to use the franchise tag, then Dak has all his rights available to him, not showing up, going year to year like Kirk Cousins did and forcing his way to the market in a couple of years. And people don't get mad at Dak for doing it. The reason he's doing all this is because the Cowboys initiated the sequence by using the franchise tag. We can avoid all of it. Just don't use the tag. Put him on the market, and we'll see what he gets. I agree with you, Mike. I agree with you, Mike. I can't believe we agree. Pro player on franchise tag. Right after this. Tom Brady, of course, the uncertainty about his future this week. Very relaxed. I just don't know what's going to happen, and you know, I'm not going to predict it. Tom's, you know, uh, iconic figure in this organization and nobody respects Tom more than I do. I think Brady has reached his lifetime limit of dealing with a jerk like Bill Belichick. He wants to get his butt kissed. Both cheeks, baby. The future unclear for Tom Brady. I love playing for this team for two decades and, and winning a lot of games. I just I don't know what it looks like moving forward. The future of Tom Brady is still to be determined. A hot topic in Indianapolis at the scouting combine is all the reporters are there trying to one-up each other with some little new nugget. And then they, they argue about who had what first or is this really news. And the local writers get resentful when the national people have something or when the national people try to report something that the local writers have previously said. It's, it's a fun terrarium of humanity as the reporters fight with each other. Uh, over this Tom Brady story, but it's the biggest story right now in the NFL, and it will be until we know where he's going to sign, Big Cat. So what we're going to do, in light of the news that Tom Brady's agent, Don Yee, has met with or will be meeting with the Chargers, the Raiders, and the Colts while in Indianapolis, tampering central, everybody does it for every free agent, even the guys who get franchise tag, they talk about them just to see what the value is and just to brace for what may be coming Let's do some Tom Brady landing spot superlatives, and we've got several different categories. We're going to begin with the easiest one, the most logical place for Tom Brady to sign. Big Cat, what's your 
What's your thought? Can I pick the Patriots? Because that would be the most logical place for Tom Brady to you, sign. That's my that's my pick. Yeah, I know I that. Agree. The, I know the report came out, you know, yesterday that people need to start bracing themselves. At the end of the day, I've been saying this for the last couple months. I think that Tom Brady, Bob Kraft, Bill Belichick will all get together for a dinner, have a good cry, cry it out, airing of grievance, and then sign for two more years. Because that guy right there, the picture you're watching, it's about. It's about Bob Kraft more than anything because he wants Tom Brady to be a Patriot. He wants Tom Brady to never play for another team. I think he will kind of flex his muscle here and make sure that everyone comes to the table and Tom Brady stays a Patriot. And now, apparently, the Athletics says that the report that the Colts will be talking to Brady is incorrect. So this is just an example of this circular firing squad among media that is going to play out in Indianapolis and beyond. And I agree with you. The Patriots make some most sense. Now, here's the thing. The Patriots organization has been set up for Bill Belichick to make the football decisions. There was a report Super Bowl Sunday that the Patriots are willing to pay Tom Brady more than $30 million a year. Well, that's the size of the check Robert Kraft is willing to sign. Whether or not Bill Belichick, who controls the purse strings, will allow it is a different issue. And someone told me yesterday that we have to be accounting for the possibility that Robert Kraft trumps Bill Belichick on this one. He's never done it, right? What? Wait, but what? if he's what ever going to do it. Whoa, whoa. What do you mean he's what? never done it? You, you think Bill Belichick wanted to trade Jimmy Garoppolo? Yes. Okay. Yes, okay. I do. Okay. Yeah. You think he wanted to trade right. him? Okay. Okay. Well, I, I think that he was probably true. Exactly. I don't, know. I don't know what's true and what's not true there because there have been all sorts of reports and counter reports. I just think here, the way they've set this up is that Robert Kraft is basically Pontius Pilate in this, that it's not his call, it's not up to me, it's Bill Belichick. And I think if Bill Belichick begins to make that call, right, that's when Robert Kraft uh, may decide to get involved and say, look, we, we have to keep Tom Brady. Because, you know, there's this weird vibe in New England, and I was on with Felger and Maz on 98.5, the sports hub, right before the Super Bowl, and, and they're convinced that if Tom Brady leaves, Bob Kraft's going to be blamed for it. And it's like, this is ridiculous to me. Why would you blame him? You got 20 years with a six-round pick, 199 overall, six Super Bowl wins. He's reached a point where he's become a free agent. If he wants to leave, he wants to leave. How is it Robert Kraft's fault? But the thing is, you can't change people's minds. You know, the mob doesn't respond well to logic. And it could be that Robert Kraft ultimately decides, look, we're going to do whatever we have to do to keep this guy. And we're going to offer him so much that if he does leave – it's not our fault. And uh, it is the most logical place for, for Tom Brady to be. But if he senses Bill Belichick doesn't really want him, it, it may not matter how much Robert Kraft offers him. So to that point, I actually think it serves Robert Kraft uh, better to stay completely out of it and never enter into this and never try to push Bill Belichick one way or the other and, and basically say, Bill Belichick's the coach of the team. He's got six rings. He makes all the decisions. That's how he stays out of the blame, in my mind. It's when he gets right. involved and it doesn't happen, that's when he could potentially get some blame. But the argument will be you should get involved to keep Tom Brady here. Right. Why do you but, let Bill Belichick make this decision? This is a very specific and particular uh, situation where Bill Belichick, because of his resume, because of those pelts on the wall, Bob Kraft can say, I'm staying completely out of it, and I think everyone would understand that's the right thing to do. Best team to stick it to the Patriots. Obviously, you the Patriots can't be an answer here. Yeah, you Although just maybe said it. it is. 
Yeah, maybe it is. Maybe it's maybe it's Bob Kraft <laughs> speaking it to himself, signing Tom Brady for $40 million. Uh, you just said it. You said that they weren't going to interview him, but the best team to stick it to the Patriots would be the Indianapolis Colts, right? Because of Deflategate, because of Peyton Manning versus Brady, all of that, the Colts would be the most logical place to stick it to him. I'm obviously not throwing out there the New York Giants because they have Daniel Jones, but the Colts are in the market, and there is history there between them and the Patriots. I agree with you on the Colts. I guess to to, to add some variety to the conversation, I'd say the Jets. That would stick it to the Patriots because there's that long history of acrimony. The Bill Parcells, the Bill Belichick, the the uh, the remember the the stupid tampering charges that were made by the Jets against the Patriots after Darrell Revis left and Bob Kraft made a comment about Darrell Revis and the Jets filed tampering charges. It's been a long, long history of hatred between the two organizations. So if you really want to stick it to the Patriots, join a team that plays the Patriots twice per year, and that is the New York Jets. All right, the team that would cause the most chaos if Tom Brady joined, mm. it would be? The chaos factor, I would say... The chaos would be, I think the Titans actually would be the chaos because they are good Ooh. enough to really, to, to, to upset the apple cart where I, I just don't, I don't believe in the Chargers enough, right? I don't believe in the Raiders enough. When I'm talking about the totality of the team, chaos to me is a team that could be in the Super Bowl with Tom Brady in a different uniform. That's chaos. That's going to be weird if the Patriots and the Titans play again next year in the playoffs. Tom Brady playing against them would be chaos. So I'm going to go with the Titans. You didn't see that coming. Well, I didn't see it coming because for me, chaos, I view it through the prism of being the owner and operator of a media outlet that thrives on chaos for clicks and for attention and for traffic. And for me, see, the chaos comes from the attention generated by the arrival of Brady plus the cleaning up of the loose ends based upon who they already have. And what happens with Ryan Tannehill isn't all that sexy. I think Very, back to 2012 yes. with, with Peyton Manning. When Peyton Manning joins the Broncos, boom. When the Broncos dump Tim Tebow in their next move, mega boom. So the Cowboys, that's the ultimate chaos because you get Tom Brady in Dallas and then you got to do something with Dak Prescott. And it's the Cowboys for crying out loud. It's Jerry Jones making that ultimate all-in move. And Big Cat, you know, we were talking earlier in the week, like where's the best place for him to have a chance to win right away and position himself to get to the Super Bowl? Well, you know, the Chargers and Raiders want him, but do you really want to compete with Patrick Mahomes? You want to go to a place where you're going to win the division and you're going to be the one seed, especially now that the one seed is the only team that gets the bye. The NFC East was the worst division in football this year. Go to the Cowboys, win the division, get the one seed. I, I like the pick, but also it would be the most chaos. The Titans, the AFC South is the easiest division to win every single year. What are you talking about, Mike? You've the lost AFC your mind. South is want... better than the, the AFC South is better than the NFC East now. I don't know about that. The Eagles, and the Eagles, a healthy Eagles team would 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 pose a bigger threat <laughs> to the Cowboys than any other team in the AFC South. Mike, I just want everyone to take this moment, understand what just happened here. Mike Florio cares more about what happens off the field than on the field. Big Cat, Dan Katz, I care about the product on the field. I am a football fan. Mike is a fan of covering football. Big difference. Okay. So? Mm -hmm. 
So mm-hmm. I, I am a fan of covering football. It has it has rewarded me well over yep. the last 20 years. Yep. I'm you, not going to deny it. When, when little kids grow up and they have Patrick Mahomes posters on their walls, Mike Florio, little Mike Florio has Bob Costas and, uh, and, and Al Michaels. <laughs> and, and he has Berman. those posters and Chris Berman on his wall. So just want that on the record. All right. Uh, I'm not going to argue with you about it. I mean, you think that things like, like you try to find things that'll bother me. That doesn't bother me. I'll wear okay. that. I'll wear okay. that. Uh, that that as a badge of honor. All right. A uh, person with the best chance to sell Brady on a landing spot is. Mm, I I mean, I'm going to double dip here, but it's Mike Vrabel, right? It's Mike yeah, Vrabel. The history that they've had in the Titans, and I think that that would be the most compelling personal case that can be made. I'll throw in a dark horse though. How about uh, Brian Flores and the Miami Dolphins? And then you also add Stephen Ross, Michigan man. Michigan men stick together. So there's my dark horse for the person or people that would most likely be able to convince him to leave. I'll go ahead and take Flores then because I agree with you on Vrabel. When we met with Vrabel the other day, he had the demeanor of a guy who's sitting on something, right? Like Tannehill, they're like – strangely ambivalent about the guy who had the fourth highest single season passer rating in NFL history. Like something's going on there with the Titans, but you know, with, with the dolphins, like the media and the fans have, have removed the dolphins from the list simply because both Steven Ross and Brian Flores have said, I don't know why you'd want to come here. Well, that doesn't mean they're not interested, right? I don't know why you'd want to come here. Well, if he does, that answers the question. If he wants you, do you want him? And of course you want him if he wants you. You got Ryan Fitzpatrick. I love Ryan Fitzpatrick, but he's not Tom Brady. If Tom Brady calls Stephen Ross or Brian Flores and says, hey, why aren't you guys showing interest in me? I'd like to play there. That changes everything. So, uh, yeah, I think and, – and we can't overlook the importance. And I don't want to make this all about what Giselle Bunchen wants to do. She's a factor in this. It's a family decision. She's dealt with this guy playing into his 40s. And if she wants to live in Miami, which isn't all that far from Costa Rica, and it's a lot closer to her native country of Brazil than any other place in the U.S., you can't write off the Dolphins from the standpoint of him being interested in them. They are playing that game of why would he be interested in us? Well, maybe he will be. All right, one more. Best place for Tom Brady to win a Super Bowl in 2020. Go. San Francisco 49ers. They let Jimmy G go, and then he goes to San Francisco. He goes home, so to speak, to the Bay Area, and there it is. Uh, by the way, what was the Costa Rica thing there? That's just where they like to vacation? They have a I house. Love, they got a, they want I, many houses there. I love this stuff. Yeah, so I just actually saw Tom Brady's uh, kids. Uh, they're looking at private school in Costa Rica, first reported here. <laughs> All right. Hey, here's mine. And and I put this category in just to be a smart aleck. I, I was on uh, Sirius XM Mad Dog Radio with Nick Wright the other night, and he made Sick this brag. point. I'm going to steal it. The best – yeah, yeah, really. The best place for him to win a Super Bowl in 2020 is the Kansas City Chiefs as Patrick Mahomes back up. Oh. Boom! Oh. Boom! <laughs> we got to go. More PFD Live right after this. You're so silly. <laughs> You're so silly. <laughs> They're the PFT top 100 free agents, at least the top 10. And at number four, a guy who was dominant for the Chiefs in Super Bowl 54 and really gutted it out in the postseason to help be a difference maker in the AFC Championship game against the Titans, Chris Jones. News is that the Chiefs will be using the franchise tag on Jones. He appeared on Colin Coward show yesterday, had a chance to react to the news, and he said he has mixed emotions. I mean, I think he understands it from a business perspective, but his attitude also is, what else am I going to do? What else do you want me to do? 
I, I can I get I got to get 30 sacks, 35 sacks to show you all what I can do. So I, look, the franchise tag, as we talked about earlier in the context of Dak Prescott, Big Cat, it is a weapon for the teams to keep players off the market and to pay them less than what they would get if they were able to go to the highest bidder. I understand why teams use it. But I think more and more players have realized that it's a dance. Le'Veon Bell showed us. Kirk Cousins showed us. Trumaine Johnson showed us. He's another guy who played two years under the tag and then struck it rich on the open market with a contract he's yet to live up to. But once the team activates that process, all bets are off. And when the team uses its right to apply the franchise tag, the player has all of his rights available. And it drives me crazy when the fans get upset when a player reacts to being tagged because this all started because the team decided to deny a loyal and productive player an opportunity to go out and get paid fair market value. I I agree with everything you're saying. The only thing I would throw on top of that is what are the teams supposed to do when they have that ability to franchise tag someone? So well, I, it's I'm, an I'm imperfect right, it's an imperfect system all around. I think players have every right to sit out and say, hey, I'm worth this much money. I'm not going to play for one year, not guaranteed past that year after I've proven that I am an unbelievable player and, like you said, loyal to the team. And then the team on the other side, if they have the ability to lock up a guy for a year and don't have to give him that long-term deal because that's what the system has in place, they should use that as well. So I blame the entire thing. I, the only thing I would say, Mike, is it would be nice if we had a new CBA coming up soon that we could get rid of it. Do we have that? Well, but they won't get rid of it because the concession the players would have to make to take away that power by the teams is more than the players should because it doesn't affect enough players. Although you could argue it affects far more players than the players who are restricted from hitting the open market because the more great players hit the open market, the more that rubber band gets stretched, the higher the market goes. And even if you don't become the highest paid player at your position – you get a lot closer to the highest paid player and that highest paid player is making a lot more. Here's the thing that bothers me. The teams do have the right to do it. And I'm not saying they're in the wrong. I'm not saying they should sacrifice that, that ability to use the franchise tag, but when the teams do it, nobody says boo. But when the player says, I don't like it, he's greedy. When the player exercises his right in response to the franchise tag chess match, he's being unreasonable. He's not a team player. He's being selfish. Why don't you show up? Remember all the heat that they were giving Le'Veon Bell? When it, when it was coming from teammates in 2017, or actually into 2018, the year he held out, into the season, and, and never showed up at all. Like, offensive linemen were calling him out. It's like, guys, the only reason he's doing this is because the team applied the franchise tag. It's a dance that the team started. And it astounds me when teammates, when coaches, when fans don't understand it. And I get it that the fans don't, but I, I, I was blown away that offensive linemen on the Pittsburgh Steelers were calling out Le'Veon Bell for exercising the rights that he has vested the moment the team uses the franchise tag. Well, we don't know if that was all because of the franchise tag. There could be a lot more play there when they're calling someone out because, like you said, you don't usually see offensive linemen calling they out call, a They called him out for not holding. They wanted him to show up. They well, called Mike, him out for not point, showing up. But my point is there probably was a little bit more to that. Like, there was – if they all got along all the time, they probably would have stayed out of it because you don't see that happen very often. I agree with you that it is uh, unfortunate when fans call out players for exercising their rights. All I would say against that is that 
it has become, it has shifted over time, and I think that that line of thinking is looked at as antiquated. And yes, you will see fans criticizing players who sit out when they're franchise tagged, but I also think you will see people criticize fans who criticize players. So it's almost, there's a market correction going on where a lot of people are realizing that players are have every right to do this and players should have every right to do this. And criticizing for that, talking about someone else's money is a crazy thought. So I think you do see the shift and people are becoming more pro player overall than pro team, pro owner. Nah. No, you, you I, must I see not spend much time on Twitter. Well, you know, no. The I problem don't. is you don't watch. Don't. You don't watch NBA. So that that that's where the shift is really happening, and I see it leaking right. into the NFL more and more. Well, I hope it does. I mean, I, I posted a link to our story from this morning about Chris Jones' comments on Colin Coward's show, and immediately, oh, oh, what's Wait, he complaining oh, about? Oh, he's not going to get. Oh, this, it's you know, and and it's like, look, folks, why do we resent? the ability of these guys to get fair value for their abilities and their sacrifices and the risks they take every day. Why is that? So wait, are you saying the pro football talk comment section was not pro no, player? No, this is Twitter. I'm this is Twitter. I'm shocked. This is, oh, well, take that up with your partner. He <laughs> started it all. Born and from he the fuels ashes. it all. Yes. Every day. We got a full hour of Friday PFT Live still to come. We'll be back with more right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 7. My trip to South Dakota was the best summer ever. Now I don't need to go to Mars because I've been to the Badlands. And I caught a bigger walleye than Dad when we went to the Missouri River. Then I rode my bike through these huge rocks called needles. Ooh, I also saw my first herd of bison, even a fuzzy furry baby one. I can't wait to go back and see more. There's so much South Dakota, so little time.